Welcome to the Real Estate Ventures Podcast. In this podcast, we will be speaking with various real estate and business professionals about real estate investing, entrepreneurship, and financial freedom. So, if you're interested in learning about real estate investing, then stay tuned and be sure to take advantage of the free tips and strategies that will be shared by our weekly guests. And now, your host, Penny Lubinsky. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Real Estate Ventures podcast. Uh, this is Penny Lubinsky. Today, I have a really, really awesome guest. His name is Devin McClish. He is actually in the Nashville market, and he's been doing some really, really crazy, amazing things. Devin actually started in real estate at, in 2011. He built his own property management company. He also started his own contracting business. He, he's done single family apartments, complexes, mobile home parks, and he has brokered and wholesaled up almost 200 properties at this point. He has also developed and built 100 houses in the Nashville area. It's an extraordinary amount of stuff that he's accomplished up to this point. So with that being said, Devin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Penny. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, really, really excited to have you here. What's really crazy is just off the top of my head, it's just you're First of all, you're my age, and I know for myself, getting into real estate, um, I got my goals, and I know where I want to be headed, and it's just like seeing what you've accomplished up to this point is really inspiring and, and really crazy, to be honest, and especially in the Nashville market, which I'm not sure how many of our guests are familiar. It's, from my understanding, a very competitive market, so to be able to do that amount of deals um, out of the gates is is really truly incredible. So that's you know really looking forward to to really getting into this podcast. Uh, Devin, why don't you start out by letting us know um, pretty much how you got started, what brought you down this path in the first place? Sure, I always tell this story. It's a it's a funny story. So I was back in high school. I had a really good friend. Uh, his dad was a real estate attorney at the time. He owned his own law practice. Uh, he was about thirty eight years old. Uh, owned a hundred acre farm that had a massive house in ground pool and uh, it, it all started with sand volleyball so every every Sunday they built their own court they would invite over I was on the basketball team the baseball team they, they, would, they would invite over essentially the entire team and a few other people to come play sand volleyball um, and so one day there was a, a, a light crowd and I just went up to, to him and just said hey how do you like, how do you have all this? <laughs> you know, I, I came from a middle-class family, so we had the typical three-bed, two-bath, two-car garage, and a dog and a fence, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But I asked the guys, like, how, did you, how do you have this? You know, how do you have this big thing with all these cars, et cetera? And, um, you know, I was like, is it being an, an attorney? Do I need to go to law school? Because I'm 16, 17 years old at the time, about to get out of high school. Um, and he said, yeah, that helps, but I own the office depot. I own the Applebee's, I own the Walmart. And I'm like, you own the businesses? And he's like, no, I own the building. And I was like, well, how much does Office Depot pay you? And he's like, tell you what, go, go get a pizza, bring it back. As soon as we're done, uh, pay for my $5 pizza, which I thought was ironic at the time. Um, and so me and- uh, I'm, sensing, me and my, I'm, I'm just sensing a little bit of like a rich dad, uh, poor dad oh, yeah. replay over here. <laughs> that, that's why it's kind of funny because it, it, it kind of runs along those lines. Um, so me and my uh, best friend at the time, we stayed over for hours. I mean, I, I didn't go home till like midnight um, and just said like, you know, how do you, how do you, what does Office Depot pay you? He's like, well, Office Depot pays me half a million to borrow my building. 
Applebee's pays me this to borrow my building. I'm like, how does that, like, what do you even do? And so he was like, tell you what, start in residential. It's 2010 at the time. So the sky had fallen. He's like, there's foreclosures everywhere, short sales everywhere. I'm doing a lot of them myself as the uh, attorney that's representing the bank right now. Um, so go out, find the tall grass, find the owner, short sale the owner. Um, fast forward a, a, a few years because I, I never actually got that figured out. Um, so I went to college. I got my broker's license, my affiliate broker's license when I was 18 or 19. Uh, so my freshman into sophomore year of uh, college. Sold a few houses going through college. Um, so that kind of paid me to live a little bit. And then I had a job at the time as well. I worked at Office Max. Then as soon as I graduated college, um, I was 21, 22. I was like, you know what? I hate this job thing. I'm going to go do the real estate thing full time. I was brokering houses. So I had enough of an income to kind of make that happen. I moved back in with my mom. And then from there, I just kind of hit the ground running and said, I'm going to attend every meetup. I'm going to meet as many people as I can. I'm just going to say yes to everything type deal. You know, the movie, yes, man, like go out there and like, can you do a rehab? Yes, I can. <laughs> so you just kind of figure it out from there. Um, and then from there, you know, I started, I got the first wholesale deal under contract that actually took six months to come to fruition. And then uh, we, we stumbled into a few rehabs and then from there we got into the building. It just kept getting bigger and bigger from there. So in a nutshell, that's kind of how I got started. Wow. That, that's incredible. And from my understanding, there were about five years in between when you first uh, met with this, your mentor, so to speak, until uh, you actually started doing your, your first wholesale deals. Is that correct? Yep, that's, so, that's right. Uh, let me just understand. So like during those five years, were you like sort of like doubting whether that was the right path or like, did you know it in the back of your head? Like, okay, someday I'm going to do this. I'm just not ready yet. Like, what was that like? Uh, there's a couple things. Um, I don't think I had enough knowledge, to be honest. So I spent every time I could with podcasts, with books, reading what I could, listening to what I could. In college, I was in a whole different state, whole different town. I was in Louisville, Kentucky at the time. So I was trying to meet with brokers and a few other people and just say, like, how are you doing this? What do you recommend, et cetera. So, I'd, you know, I went to the Kentucky Real Estate Investors Association just to hang out and meet, meet people and ask what they're doing. Uh, so I spent that time not only going through college and selling houses, but I was learning all I could about investing, listening to what I could. Um, and then during that time, I just, I mean, to be frank, I, I didn't know how to do this with no money, you know? So I was, that was something I was always trying to struggle with. It was like, I don't have any money. How do I buy a house? I don't have any money. How do I rehab a house? So it's like having that mental roadblock there and getting past that for beginners is extremely important in my opinion is learning how to finance something when you don't have a whole lot. You know, I think that's a big thing that beginners miss is they're like, how do I wholesale something? How do I rehab something? They get stuck in that. And it's like, we need to figure out how to finance something first. You so, know? so that being said, I, I feel like also with uh, networking a bunch and speaking to my friends and people that, that I'm connected with, um, it's, it's usually when you talk about real estate, it's one of the first questions that you get back. It's like, but wait, do you have a lot of money? Like, how could you get into real estate if you don't have a lot of money in your right. bank account? And for most young people starting out, which you were super young or, or even older people that don't have a lot of money, like what advice would you give as far as like financing any like creative way or, or some way to get into the deal without actually having, you know, a large sum in your bank account? 
So two things that I did that I figured out finally were partnering is, is number one, uh, exchanging a large amount of equity for them bringing the capital to the deal. So a lot of what I was doing was I would put together a new construction deal, which in Nashville was you buy one lot, you build two houses on that lot, and then you sell them. That's that formula in a nutshell. And so I would go to somebody who I knew had money and say, I'll give you 70% of this deal and let me hang, hang around for 30% plus I get the listing commission, you know? So, because that person, you got to realize that person doesn't know how to find that deal. Most people don't. Lead generation is not something a builder is good at. That's not what they do. They're good at building houses. So if you kind of create that structure, that's one structure that you can do, which is JVing. Uh, the downside of that is if the deal goes south, you're, you know, that relationship's not going to work out very well. Um, you know, so you just got to make sure that they understand the risk, you understand the risk, and um, just really make sure both people know their numbers, you know, so that's one way of doing it. Okay, and essentially, you don't need to, um, being, you don't need to excel, or you don't need to have every single part of the marketing the raising the capital the experience you could sort of have one and then partner with somebody that has the other and and that's a way for a lot of beginners to take down deals sort of like like what you did in the beginning right and i you know and i had 10 15 20 partners in different things you know when i was building 75 houses a year that wasn't one person that wasn't two people that wasn't three it was about 20 different investors right so this investor would take down four houses. This investor would take down three houses. This guy would only do one, you know? So it's like, you can create these joint ventures everywhere, you know? Uh, you just gotta find what people are looking for, what kind of return they're looking for, what kind of equity percentage they're looking for, and then fill that need, you know? Like Elon Musk, Mark Cuban, these big guys all the time say, find a need and fill it. Well, for real estate investors, their need is the deal to turn the capital. And if you can find that and figure out like this one guy, okay, he's going to invest $150,000 into this project. He wants to see a 30% return on his money. Okay. After we split this profit, projected profit, is he going to get that? You know, is he okay with that? You know, and that's kind of how you reverse engineer that deal. Mm -hmm. So a, a great way for any listener um, any young listener that's motivated looking to get started in this business, um, from my understanding, the easiest thing that comes to them is time and right. grit. That's something that almost everybody can get. And especially, which is, it sounds like what you did, which is uh, educate yourself tremendously. You also went out, got your license. So you really, um, you put a whole bunch of tools in your toolbox and right. made yourself valuable for the developers or for your partners to be able to say, hey, we want to partner with this guy because look how much he's bringing to the table. I can't run around and, and market like this and, and find all these properties and go through, right. sift through all these leads, but you could. And essentially that was your strong point. That's exactly right. I mean, I, I, I get several people that reach out to me on a weekly basis like, hey, love the podcast or hey you know love what you're doing uh let me know how i can add value to you and it's like that doesn't do anything for me you know like if you're going to approach somebody who's doing something their time is very limited it's very valuable right so if that person came to me and said hey Devin, i realize you're building in nashville i've got this lot that's this price that you that i'll sell it to you for or 
what do you think about this? And if you can help me put this together, I'll give you half the deal. Well, now that conversation completely changes, right? So now like you're not asking how to add value to my life. I can now add value to your life and it makes it worth my time. The same thing is going to happen on the flip side of the table. If you're new and you're approaching somebody, instead of asking them for help, say, what do you think about this particular property or project? And does this make sense for you? Then they're going to look at it through a different lens and say, no, this, 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 uh, you're, you're smoking crack. Like this, this will never work. Why? You know, you can start asking that question. Why does that not work? Why does why do these numbers not work? Well, your estimated rehab is 30 grand. It's actually going to be $80,000, you know, like having that now we've, now we're starting to learn something. Now we're starting to add value. That person will say, you know, this person will bring me something at some point. So that's definitely one way to do it. And that's how I think new people need to approach experienced people is that way by adding value. And you might say like, well, I don't have any money. How do I find deals? Well, when I first started doing this, I drove around Nashville and over the course of a year, I accumulated a list of 2,500 names driving for dollars. I looked up every single one. I wrote out every single yellow letter. I mean, I fed it through a printer, but I wrote it out the first one, I'd feed it through a printer and I'd have to manually write the address and the person's name on it. And then I'd physically write out the mailing uh, envelopes and physically take them to the post office. I'd stuff that thing full every single month. And that was the best list that I ever had. I was getting a deal a month for like 12 months off of that, off of that list. But that's a cheap way to do it. It's like now I can take my mailing costs where if I paid yellowletters.com for 2,500 letters, that'd be $2,500 a month. Well, I can probably do this now for $1,200 a month and it's my time. But I have all the time in the world because what am I doing? I'm doing nothing. I don't have any deals. I don't have anything going. I'm new, right? right. And then just get on the phone with sellers and you just got to keep saying yes and annoy those people until they tell you you're on the do not call list. You know, so, like all of it. Right. So. No, that, that makes sense. And, and I, I actually want to get into this for a minute. Like as far as you, you, most people come in with the mindset of, I want to get a deal. Like they want to get a deal. That's sort of like their goal. It seems like you almost came in with like a mindset, like I want to build like a factory. Like I want to just get a whole ton of deals. And, and you ended up getting so many in a competitive market. Like, can we talk a little bit more about your marketing campaign? Like what, so you spoke about, you said you did driving for dollars. Right. Uh, you did yellow letters. Can you explain to the listeners just on a, on a quick, you know, overall basis, like what is that? How does that work? Just overall. Right. So you essentially take a piece of paper and it's just got like, hey, I want to, I want to dear whatever, I want to buy your house at uh, five, two, three Central Pike or whatever. And you put it in an envelope and you mail it to them once a month. Now, marketing, you want to mix it up. You don't want to send the same thing over and over and over again because we're all humans. The psychology of it is the way that you're going to get sold and the way I'm going to get sold is completely different. So yellow letters might work to a certain crowd and then send a type letter the next month. Uh, we were sending, I don't like postcards. People send them because they're cheap, but that, yeah, in my opinion, you kind of get what you pay for. Uh, there's zip letters where it looks like a bill or something. Uh, we've done those in the past. Usually, so you think, hold on, so you're, you're saying a yellow, a yellow letter works better than a postcard in your opinion, it, because it's oh, more yeah. personalized, it's more official, is that why? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, what's the first thing that you do with a the postcard these days? I'd, I'd take it and throw it away. Throw it in the garbage, right? 
No, so, yeah, you're, you're just wasting your time. If I'm invested by opening that envelope to see the handwritten, like who is this from? Like it could be anything, right? Um, so I'm, I'm gonna look at that yellow letter, type letter, July 4th comes around. We, uh, yellowletters.com has got this awesome patriotic letter. So it's like the Statue of Liberty and the paper is red, red, white, and blue. So you can send that. Uh, we were sending stuffed letters uh, that were had like different kinds of envelopes. So you can send like a pink envelope because that kind of looks urgent, right? Mm -hmm. uh, with the same thing in it. Uh, one of the best things we ever did was on the back, there was a crayon drawing of a family and a dog. Yellow letters did this. And so we, and so we did that. And I got so much response out of that. I think we ended up getting three or four deals just on that one mail. Wow. Wow. Interesting. Um, so changing it up and being different and being consistent are the things that you need to do. If you're going to mail, if you're going to go any type of direct marketing at all, you need to do it for at least six months. So don't give up on that list. You know, that, 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 the list I mentioned, it took me five months to get one deal. And then once I got that one, it just kept on rolling because the guy from the third month, finally on the 10th month, you know, uh, sold to me. I, I'll, I'll never forget this one guy who ended up selling me six or seven houses over the course of the years. And he, he still owns 30 of them. I'm still chasing him on a daily basis. <laughs> He's still sending uh, him letters every month. Yeah, right. He called me on the uh, 13th month and said, I called you first because you have sent me more letters than any other person in wow. my mind. I, I, I have all these letters from all these people, but you seem the most serious because you've sent me the most. And that's an intelligent investor. That's a guy who amassed a portfolio of almost 50 homes here. Right. So his, his net worth was around four to $5 million. I mean, he's not an idiot. Right. So um, you saw that you were the one that was chasing the most, you were the most consistent, the most persistent. And at the end of the day, when he has a choice between your letter or, you know, five other letters, he's, he recognizes yours. He almost knows you already. And it sounds like he does know you. So you're, you're the yeah. one that's getting the call. Yeah. So that's, that's a person who likes consistency. I mean, if, if I'm going to sell any one of my properties to somebody sending me letters, I'm probably going to go down that line of thinking and say, okay, Joe has sent me 12 letters. This guy obviously knows what he's doing. You know, I'm not going to just pick up the, the one or two random pieces, but the biggest things with mail are consistency, change it up every single month because everybody responds differently. You might respond, you might pick up the phone on a type letter. I might not pick it up until I see like an open letter or something, you know? Right, right. So everybody responds differently and there's no way to really measure it unless you test it, you know? So pick a list. In my opinion, driving for dollars is the absolute best list and the only list you need to be pursuing, especially in the beginning. Um, it's the best quality lead. You know, whenever somebody would call me and say, I want 400 grand for my house. And I'd be like, Miss Jones, like I drove by your house. I know it's a piece of crap. <laughs> you know um, it already. You know the whole neighborhood. But <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, like that person's going to be more reasonable than if you blindly throw it out to like an absentee list or something. Now, if you're going for volume, great. Pull the absentee list. If you don't have time, that's completely fine. Do an absentee list, do an equity list, do a, I mean, my, 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 my favorite thing are old people and dead people, right? Dead so, people, you said? Dead people, old people and dead people. Right. So, uh, cause dead, dead people, that's unearned equity for that family. They did not earn that house. They're going to quickly give that away. Right. Um, an old person, 
they're typically like I, I don't think I've ever bought a house from anybody under the age of 45 or 50 just to be honest so like I'm going back and saying last sold date 1985 that guy's owned that thing for 30 years he's probably 75 years old uh, there's a hundred percent equity in that house, which is the motivation. And if you want to own or finance it and there's no debt on it, that's the perfect person to get. Um, so that's, you know, old people and dead people that, that would be my recommendation if you're going to pull a list. Right. And, um, I'm just want to point out for the followers. I just want to point out how intentional Devin is with his criteria. He knows exactly what his, uh, ideal client looks like he knows the demographics he knows you know how old they are what they're thinking what they're like what their house looks like and i feel like that gives him a major advantage as, uh, as opposed to the people that are just sending out random letters every month um, not really knowing who they're chasing what they're going after so that's that's in my opinion very valuable um would you be able to just walk us through also um the driving for dollars thing uh, what is that to the listeners that don't know and how how do you go about that like how do you find the best ones how do you know what you're looking at yeah so um i basically pick an area right so i'm going to use nashville for example uh when i first started east nashville which was east of downtown uh, but it was in, in the urban core it was this big area on a map people were building people were renovating it was growing right so you want to hit the transitional areas don't go to the developed areas you're not going to be able to compete they're going to be too expensive not only are they going to be too expensive there's going to be no margin so you want to be on those fringe areas that are transitioning and gentrifying that's where you're going to make the most amount of money um, and the most amount of margin so you just drive an area what i would do is i'd pick an entire area on a map you can do your google maps or whatever you want to do there's apps for this now too um, I would drive each street and say, okay, that one looks like crap. That one looks like crap. That's essentially the criteria. How are the gutters? Are they falling off the house? Do the windows look extremely old? The roof is obviously a good one. Tall grass is a good one, but at the same time, if they abandon that house, it's going to be hard to find that person, right? So you really want the people who own these things that you can get a hold of. The abandoned house thing um i think i've only bought like one or two of those you you have to physically trace them down and find those people if they've abandoned these things um so the tall grass is fine but i'm 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 really looking for the deferred maintenance you know like if i look this person up and they've lived there for 20 years and they haven't replaced the roof they haven't you can see the hvac system it looks rotting you know <coughs> the mailbox is falling apart uh the windows look like they're fogged up right? That's a good one. Those are, those are crap windows. If the, if, if it looks like frosted glass, you know? Right. Um, so they, they've spent all that time living there and they never improved the home. Right. And uh, that gives you an idea that they actually don't care about the property. Either they don't care or they can't. They're too busy with a death or, you know, an illness or some other reason. And they, they would be very interested in selling basically. Or it's an investor who just ran it into the ground, you know? So they just never, uh, you know, perform the capital improvements on the thing. I've ran into a lot of those guys who turned into slumlords. You know, they, they bought something a long time ago. They just took it as far as they could. And you'll find PVC mixed with PEX, mixed with copper, mixed with iron plumbing. <laughs> it's like they, they just did everything lipstick as possible um, because they didn't want to, 
they didn't want to pay for the big expense, right? So um, that's the person that I'm looking for is the guy who's like, you know what? It's not worth it to spend the 80 grand to renovate this thing. I'd rather just take my 150 and go away. You know? And even smart investors, sometimes they'll take the loss. They'll realize that what they tried to do obviously didn't work out or their plan, you know, they had to go to plan B and, and they would be happy to, to get rid of it to you, I guess. So I guess yeah. that works. Yeah. Uh, hey, I, I yeah. Look for the deferred maintenance. So. So that's the big picture is you're looking for something that's abandoned, not really abandoned, you mentioned, more deferred, broken, old, um, you know, uncared for. And th right. that's your that's your prime suspect. That's your that's your ideal client. Right. All right. Uh, Devin, question. Um, you've been involved in so many different aspects of real estate from development, fixing and flipping, wholesaling and opening up your own management companies. If you had to go back to the very beginning now and start from scratch, what would you focus more on? What would you focus less on? What has worked best for you? And like, what would you have changed? Um, I would focus more on the business aspect of things. I think people get too caught up in, I want to be a wholesaler. I want to be a rehabber. I want to be a builder. That's the investing side of it, which is great. Um, but if I could go back and start over, I would do the brokerage business sooner and faster and earlier. And the first thing I would do is become a property. Um, a property manager. Right. So, I mean, it's taken us three years to grow to, I mean, we, we were at like 118 units, but we just shut down our Airbnb side of things. So we're down to about 90 to 100 units. Right now. Um, in cash flow, it's the business that pays me the most for the least amount of work. Um, so that's, that's what I would go back and do because you, you can create an income in real estate, be a part of it. You get paid first. Be the guy who gets paid first. The guy who gets paid first is either the bank or the property manager, right? So if I could go back eight years ago, if I would have started that management company, I would be at four or 500 units by now. And that, you know, that business would be generating, um, you know, probably half a million or more per year. And then it's the least, it's very low overhead. You know, like I, I can put one employee on a hundred units. So, um, focusing on the business side, like most people think about property management, they're like, man, that's so not sexy at all. Well, I don't need sexy. I, you know, cash flow is great today. Right, so, right. It just it has that connotation. I'm I'm not sure why. I guess because people feel like the landlords are the ones, you know, making the money, and the property managers are the ones working. But I guess if you're owning the property management company, then you're getting the cash flow. And like you mentioned, you're getting it first. Whether there's profit at the end of the month or not, you're getting your profit. So, right, that, that makes it, you know, really valuable for you. So, yeah, I mean, you know, if, if you're in a market, especially an expensive one, it makes more sense to do property management. Like our, our average rental in Nashville is $2,000 a month or something close to that, right? And we, we charge a leasing fee plus a percentage. So by the time we get out the door, I mean, the owner's making 24000 a year and we're pulling three grand from that per unit per year, right? right. right? I have no, I mean, they're, they're, they're paying taxes, insurance, possible utilities, lawn care, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, yeah, they're getting the appreciation of owning the asset. We're, we're not, but at the same time, if that works for you, usually that client buys another five, 10, 15, you know, right. properties. And then you can get into the bigger stuff and you can manage anything in real estate. It doesn't have to just be a single family home. Um, 
but you know, like we manage a hundred units, our average rental is probably $1,800 a month. So, I mean, that's eight, 18,000 a month that's coming in gross, you know, that we take percentages and leasing fees, et cetera on. I mean, that's do the math. I mean, that makes right, all right. <laughs> no, that's, that, that's pretty cool. So it sounds like that's what you would have uh, focused on more. The good news is, although you've been in business for this long, you're still crazy young <laughs> and I would love to be holding where you're holding right now. So um, you're still way ahead of the game with that, I guess. So, yeah, I mean, I would, I would encourage anybody. I mean, and here's the thing, like being a property manager or being a real estate agent, cause I, I would have gone that route more too. I just would have focused on the bigger stuff, you know, like selling to a retail buyer, I just, that would make me hate my life. You know, like I would hate to take buyers around and see 35 houses. You're, you're not going to catch me doing that. That's not my personality. I don't want to do, I don't want anything to do with that. But selling one apartment complex for a million dollars and you catching a 4% commission on that is $40,000, right? That makes, I mean, I've, I've sold a couple of those and I can count on my hands and toes how many hours I actually put into that deal. Right. So, I mean, it makes all the sense in the world. You just got to kind of conceptualize the scale of things. And that's just all networking and knowing people is what that comes down to. Right. So if you create those two sides of the business, you're a realtor, property manager. You have to be a realtor to, to be a property manager in most states, I think. I mean, in Tennessee, you do. Um, you have all this income that's now created. You can now go find the investment stuff that you want to pursue, right? And then you don't necessarily have to have partners. Here's another beautiful thing. You property manager, you realtor, you're the realtor on the investment side. Who sees the, the deal first? You do. Right. Right. You're getting so first dibs. I have access to stuff that, you know, the, the open market's not going to see first. So right. if we see something that we like or we know we can put together, then we kind of have that exclusive right to that, um, you know, to try to put that deal together. So um, that's another beautiful thing, you know, and then it, using these tools, you know, just like if you're a contractor and you're trying to put a deal together, what I was doing was saying like, I'll, okay, like here's this triplex, Mr. Investor, but you know, if you buy this and I'm holding the contract, I'm wholesaling it to you. Part of this is I get the property management. So right. you don't get the deal without giving me the management, you know, so you have more streams of income. Right. You have more strings, you have more leverage and the, you're saying that you have more access really to the deals when they're coming on the market and you could sort of cherry pick the better ones and, and right. keep them for yourself as time goes. That's, that's super cool. All right, Devin, we're going to move to the final four questions of the show. These are more uh, rapid question answer type. Number one, you've been obviously crazy motivated and really ambitious about your dreams and you know what you're going towards here with, with this whole real estate thing. What is your why? Like what on, on the hard days or when something doesn't go your way, like what motivates you to keep you going, keep you pushing and working towards this goal? Um, honestly, I saw my parents grow up throughout their entire relationship and still now to this day. Both had jobs, both middle class family both have nothing, you know? So um, my mom is now partnered with me and we've been able to travel. We've been able to do other things. You know, she's been able to get into ballroom dancing as her new passion, you know? So having this um, as a journey allows you to, to do other things. You know, I didn't want to grow up and 
have the debt and to be in the middle class and have a kid and two dogs, but yet I look at my bank account and there's five thousand dollars and worry about life. Right. Right. Uh, so I mean that's that's kind of my why of pushing through there there's a lot of other things i want to do in life other than real estate you know and so this allows this is a means to an end for me you know so if you have that vision of like this is what i want to do uh with my existence then having it that way then you'll wake up every morning and say i've got to keep going because i I want to get to this right and you know you're you're at such an advantage because i feel like most people only come to this realization after working their you know, corporate or nine to five job for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and then come to that realization. It's, it's, you know, you're really lucky and blessed to have come to that realization at such a young age to be able to capitalize on it at, at this point already. Um, all right, Devin, what's your favorite book? I've got two I'm going to throw at you. So I really like The Intelligent Investor. Um, that's a book by Ben Graham written back, I believe, in the 30s or 40s. Ben Graham was Warren Buffett's um, mentor. So the whole book is about conservatism and how to be a conservative investor and how to use qualitative uh, analysis instead of a technical analysis. I brought that into real estate, how to be extremely conservative with purchasing rehabs or builds, et cetera. And then the second one is The Power of Zero. Um, What that essentially is, is it's a book about zero interest and how powerful that is. Because I've used a lot of, seller financing and with zero percent interest and those are the best deals that i've ever got my hands on so reading that book you'll you'll start to see like oh the four percent interest the bank sells me is not a 30-year am that's not it that's not where the financing world ends so i would definitely recommend the power of zero right and again that that would if somebody can educate themselves with uh more tools in their financing toolbox you know, yeah. that'll give them so many more options going forward. And, and like you're saying, be able to save you lots, lots of money in the future. Um, all right. What would be your best advice for somebody just starting out in real estate? Somebody's really ambitious. They see the light. They read the books. They're, they're interested. They're ready to go. What's, what's the first step? Where, where, where would you send them? What do they do first? Number one, I would start, I would start a business. So whether that be the realtor side, the property management side, get on the lending side. I know guys who have done that. They started out as mortgage brokers. So now they have access to all the national guys that lend money on rehabs, et cetera. So I would start there, create a stream of income. We gotta have income to do anything in real estate. The second thing I would do is educate yourself on seller financing, okay? If you have no income, you're new, you have no no experience, a bank's gonna say no to you. So if you know how to structure deals with seller financing, guess what? You don't need a bank. The seller's the bank. So I would really educate yourself on, on seller financing. There's not a lot of material out there, um, but check out probably bigger pockets would be the best thing to do. Robin Thompson's got a lot of material on it. That's where I learned it. Um, so educating yourself there. I mean, I've, I've bought houses with bringing just the closing costs to the table. Because I I had the seller financing knowledge. I bought a $1.5 million apartment complex and brought, again, just the closing cost to the table because it was all seller finance. So That's crazy. Wow. I mean, and I I, I didn't have 300 grand to put down on a $1.5 million apartment complex. I can tell you that. So the only way I got that done was because I had that knowledge. So once you open your eyes to the financing world and how big it is and what's out there, you're going to really understand like, oh, there's a lot 
more ways to put stuff together. So those are the two pieces of advice I would give. Okay, awesome. And not real estate related, what is your favorite hobby? Ballroom dancing. I knew that answer. <laughs> yep. So call you on Instagram, so I knew that answer. But yeah, my um my partner in life now has uh, gotten me into that. My my mom actually introduced it to me about four and a half years ago, and now uh, it's just it's such a fun thing, man. Like I've I've created two businesses out of it now. We've opened two studios. It's so much fun. There's no stress in it changes people's lives, which is great. And it's a fun hobby for me. I, I was always an athlete and I was always somebody who went and worked out. Um, but man, you go for a four mile run, you're like, man, I, this, this is just terrible. <laughs> but then like you go out here and you dance for an hour and you burn essentially the same amount of calories and it's better for your body. And uh, it's, it's just been, it's just been a fun ride for me. So. Cool. <laughs> cool. Um, okay. One last question. Where can everyone reach you? somebody has any questions or wants to connect real estate related or for any other reason, where could they reach you? Facebook is fabulous. I'm on that all the time for business. Um, you can get to me on bigger pockets. I check that a couple times a week. Uh, my email is Devin Olympus at gmail.com. So it's D V A N O L Y M P U S at gmail.com. I check that. Those are the probably the best three ways to get to me. Mm. Okay, awesome. Well, Devin, I think this pretty much wraps it up. You've added a tremendous amount of value and I really appreciate you coming on the show. This has been really amazing. So thanks so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You got it.